Welcome to the Strong Like Mum podcast. Yay! This podcast is sponsored by Pregnacare. Pregnacare vitamin and mineral supplements provide advanced nutritional support for every stage of pregnancy, before, during and after. They include vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid as recommended by the UK Department of Health. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Strong Like Mum podcast. I'm your host Shakira Akabusi and I'm so excited to be joined today by Chloe Brotheridge, hypnotherapist and author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I specialise in pre and postnatal fitness. But for me, physical and mental wellness go hand in hand. This series of the Strong Like Mum podcast is focused on how to maintain a positive pregnancy, so I wanted to kickstart the first episode by discussing how to reduce stress and anxiety in order to maintain a healthy and happy lifestyle during all the trimesters. I know Chloe not just as a respected professional, but also on a personal level. Chloe is someone who helped me through some of my darkest days during my second pregnancy. Chloe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start by, this sounds really ridiculous and silly, but it was the first thing I think I asked you when we met, which is what actually is hypnotherapy? How does it work? And is it just like trickery or a placebo or does it actually work? That's a good question. And actually, a lot of people do ask me that. Um, I mean, I often say to people, and it's true, that my job would be pretty disheartening if it was trickery or if it was not not real um sometimes it can seem a bit magical but actually it isn't magic even though the results can sometimes seem magical it's a, a way of helping the subconscious mind to get into a receptive state to get into a download mode so that we can take on board ideas and suggestions that will help us to to feel better and you know most of us have probably seen hypnosis stage shows or we've seen things on the TV where it can seem like that can't be real or there's some kind of trickery going on. But actually, when you see something on a stage show, it is real. But what they do do is they vet people beforehand. So they are choosing people who are most suggestible, who are most easy, you know, the easiest people to be hypnotized, essentially. Um, so they do vet people, but it is completely real. And yes, it does work. And was it something, I mean, I don't know how you got into hypnotherapy, but was it something that you tried that worked for you? Or how did you kind of fall organically into that? Yeah, so I I had a lot of anxiety as a teenager and in my 20s, panic attacks and, and social anxiety and just feeling very low in my own self-esteem. And I, throughout my life, had met a few hypnotherapists and they just made quite an impression on me. I remember being 11 and meeting a osteopath who was a hypnotherapist who was telling me all about hypnosis. And then when I was traveling, I met a, a doctor who was a hypnotherapist. And um, so a few people in my life had kind of made an impression on me. And then I discovered hypnotherapy recordings and I had them on my phone and I was listening to them day after day. And I started to find that after a couple of weeks of listening to these recordings, I was feeling a lot calmer, a lot more confident, I was finding it easier to have conversations with people. I was chatting to my housemates more. This is a, about sort of 10 or 11 years ago now. And I realized that actually this is something that works and it helped me. And so I trained as a hypnotherapist myself after that. 
And um, yeah, it's helped me a lot. And I've obviously been able to help lots of other people with similar sorts of issues. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you you definitely helped me on my journey. I remember really questioning whether hypnotherapy was safe in pregnancy. And I know that um, you can do hypnobirthing. So I'd heard of that before, but it's slightly different what you do. Um, and I think I came to you because I needed help for my own mental health throughout pregnancy, not so much with the help for labour and getting through through that. Um, and and so I remember you telling me it is safe to do hypnotherapy or if you go into a hypnotic state, it's still perfectly safe during pregnancy. Exactly. Yeah, it's it isn't. Uh, I think sometimes we get this idea that hypnosis can be a bit scary or there could be da- dangers or you could, I don't know, unearth things from the past that you don't want to. And it, and it really isn't like that. It feels very natural. It feels incredibly relaxing and we actually go into hypnotic states all the time when we're zoning out in front of the TV, when we're half watching the TV and kind of half half awake and half asleep and half watching the telly in an almost daydream-like state of mind, that's a very similar state of mind to hypnosis. So it is completely safe. It's really a natural state of mind that we go into all the time. For any mothers who are pregnant who already may have children or just who are busy, whether they're working or just seem to have a busy sort of schedule, when time's of the essence, do you need a lot of time to practice hypnotherapy or how can you access those techniques in order to reduce anxiety and, and how much time do you need? Yeah, so it, it can be something that you can do in, in 10 minutes or in a couple of minutes. You could use some techniques that a hypnotherapist would use. You know, busy mums could listen to a 10 minute hypnotherapy recording It could be that you could use something like a body scan, which can take anywhere from 30 seconds to to 10 minutes. Normally we would do this lying down. You could be sitting on the sofa. You could be sitting on the train. Um, But ideally it's done lying down and you scan through the different parts of your body, starting either at the top of your head or at your, your toes. And you move through, you know, your toes, your ankles, your calf muscles. And as you focus on each body part, you imagine that part of your body relaxing. And we go through the whole body. And very often people will find that they feel a lot more relaxed just by imagining that body part relaxing. That sounds like a very physical process. Um, I know that there are links, of course, between mental health and your physical well-being and and vice versa. But how does that physical relaxation impact sort of mental anxiety if you're going through a particularly stressful time? Yeah, I would say the two are, are so linked. You know, your brain is part of your body and so much of anxiety is physical. It's the racing heart, it's the tension, it's the butterflies in your stomach or, you know, having stomach issues And the two are completely linked. If we can calm the body down, the mind will often calm down. Um, Something that is more of a mental technique, I suppose, might be something like a countdown. So sometimes in my hypnotherapy sessions, I ask people to count down from 30 to 1 and have this sense that they're drifting down and relaxing with every number. And just doing that can can be enough to help to to calm the, the mind down. Um, I suppose another really quick technique is a grounding technique where you just notice three things that you can see around you. So you might notice the furniture or the sky. You might notice a cup of tea on the table. 
um, you notice three things that you can feel. So it might be the feeling of your clothes or your feet on the ground or your bottom on the chair. And then you notice um, three things that you can hear. And doing this can, can calm the mind down. It gives us something to focus on. It brings us into the present moment and it helps us to feel more grounded rather than the mind spiraling into the future or worries or um, overthinking things. It just brings us back and grounds us back into the moment. And when you're doing that, are you trying to clear the mind? Because I think I, if I feel really stressed, I'll have sort of two two options and I either go into complete distraction mode where I will throw myself into a completely different activity whether that's exercise or it's um, working or it's cleaning you know I'll throw myself into something else or I do what you just mentioned there where I try to breathe and I used to find it very difficult to sit still I just don't or I, I didn't like feeling still it actually made me feel more anxious to sit still and you almost have to or I felt that I almost had to let the anxiety I had to learn to let the anxiety pass through pass through me and 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 go out and it's a really tricky thing to manage but is there something in your mind when you're using these techniques are you trying to clear your mind or are you trying to process what your anxiety is yeah, I think with anything like this, it's about trying things out and seeing what works for you. We're, we're all different and th different things are going to work for us at different times. So if you find that something doesn't work for you, like for some people, breathing deeply makes them feel more panicky. You know, for other people, breathing deeply is going to calm them down. So, you know, definitely don't beat yourself up about something if it doesn't work for you. Um, I, I don't like to think about clearing the mind because whenever we, we think about clearing the mind... Um, we can start to feel like a failure sometimes because the nature of the mind is to have thoughts. I think the the purpose of the grounding activity is to bring you back into the present and bring you into your body, connecting with your senses. And that can just be enough to break the cycle of overthinking or spiraling, um, often worrying about things in the future or things that could go wrong. Mm. I think you're exactly right what you said about Sometimes it's letting the anxiety move through us. And I use this example that comes from a psychologist called Claire Weeks. And she said, she says, um, float with anxiety, don't fight it. You know, sometimes the more we, we fight against how we're feeling, the worse anxiety gets, the more we panic. If we can have this sense, and she uses the example of imagining that you're, you're swimming in the sea, you're in the ocean, and instead of flapping your arms around and, and sort of fighting against the waves, you just relax and let your body go floppy and lean back in the water and have this sense that actually you float in the sea. So is it partly to do with learning to relinquish some control, perhaps? Yeah, I think that's a good way of, of saying it. I think allowing the feelings to be there, don't fight them. Um, sometimes the more, exactly as you say, the more we try to control something, the less in control we feel. So floating with the feelings. It's quite tricky um, for mums, I can imagine, for me certainly, to find that balance because on one hand, so much of you has to be in control. You know, you've got young children and you are the protector, the provider, they look to you and, uh, you know, so, so I feel like a lot of the time I'm in the mode of don't worry, 
I can handle it, you know, and, and I remember looking at my parents thinking they'll handle anything and, and having that really secure feeling when I grew up of my parents can take care of anything. Um, and so you're, you're almost like programmed into that, that then I find it difficult to make that instant switch. And is that when you think you might need to then use some of these techniques? Because it, it almost comes down to being able to identify when that goes too far if you've got if you feel like you're needing to control situations and um as i said be the provider and the protector but then you know it can tip over to to a different side mm. i suppose my question to you is how can you identify when you're when you're flipping into an anxiety spiral as opposed to just being in that role of provider and carer um and then are those techniques you mentioned earlier things that you would suggest in order to instantly calm down yeah I would say when we are in an anxious state and we're feeling like we need to control things we're likely to be in fight or flight where our nervous system is um ramped out, pumping out a lot of adrenaline. What happens in our brain when we're in fight or flight is that the frontal cortex gets less blood flow and the amygdala, so the fear center of the brain, gets more blood flow. So we are less likely or less able to think clearly, to think rationally, to be creative. We're less able to make decisions. And so it might seem as though we need to be in this heightened state to, to control things and keep everyone safe. But actually, we are most safe when we're, when we're calm, when we can use the whole of our brain to um, deal with situations. And it's, it is possible for us to be alert, but relaxed, to be calm, but concentrated. And I think that is, you know, easier said than done, perhaps, but that's the mindset that I think we function best from. And so incorporating mindfulness tools, relaxation tools, um, in your day-to-day -day life, just having things in your toolkit that you can call on to help you to to get out of fight or flight and into this calmer state for your nervous system is actually going to mean that you're more in control, not not less in control. I remember working with um, a CBT counsellor who said something that really resonated with me, and I just wonder your opinion on that and whether you would agree. He said to me um, that worry that the the ability to worry or the ability to perceive danger or worry is actually something that's kept humans you know evolving and and kept us alive for for all this time um because unlike some something like a a lion or a tiger who might just stroll along and until they see the hunter standing in front of them and they can flee we can actually walk down the street and see a dark alley and think it's dark down there it's night time I don't feel safe. I'm on my own. There's a group of people at the bottom. I'm going to walk the long way around. You know, and it's those types of things that allow us to be able... So worry has actually been a good thing. However, he said what's happened as humans have evolved, that um, there's a... You'll probably know this much better than I. There's a different part of the brain that has evolved with um, more in-depth emotions than a lion would perhaps have. And that actually these these emotions that we've developed can also trigger that same sense of of worry even when there isn't actually a threat so although you might see a dark alley 
with a group of strangers and you're on your own and it's midnight and you think I'm not going to go there and you can feel those anxious things happening, that same thing can happen from a memory. Or, for example, if I um, smell fresh grass, it reminds me of having to do sports day as a child and really, really feeling that anxiety and that pressure. And I instantly feel physically anxious, even though there is no threat. Um, And is that is that kind of part of it being able to establish when there is a real threat and when it's more just your anxiety? Yeah, I definitely agree with that um, statement. I've heard um, said before that our brains are designed to keep us safe, but not to make us happy. So we have to try and find ways to be to be happy um, as well. I think a lot of these things can come back to the the messages that we've taken on board in the past. So if you have an anxious parent yourself, or if you have gone through a traumatic experience, whether that's something, you know, really very traumatic, or even, um, you know, smaller traumatic events, like getting shouted at in front of the class, or getting told off for being late, you know, all these experiences stay with us um, in our memories. And so, for example, perhaps you find that it's very stressful for you now to be late for things because you got really shamed for that when you were a child or um you got you got told off a lot and so confrontational situations um trigger that fight or flight response in you so a lot of these things can go back to our life experiences and a lot of what I'm doing when I'm working with people in hypnotherapy is looking at how can we reprogram these experiences so that they don't trigger that fear um, and so that we can be rational you know in our decision making about whether that dark alley is safe to walk down or not rather than responding to something in the past that may not apply to our situation now and it just does that just take time I suppose practice and sort of learning getting to know yourself more yeah so sometimes it's getting to know what those those triggers are sometimes it's Um, proving to yourself that actually it is safe so um, for example for people who have um, anxiety about meeting new people you know if you if you always avoid meeting people because you find it nerve-wracking and scary then you're going to be reaffirming to yourself that actually that is dangerous if you instead challenge yourself to strike up a conversation with I don't know another mum at the school gates then you're going to be affirming to yourself that actually it is safe for you to do that and you can handle that situation. And it's through that repetition of challenging ourselves that we can overcome, you know, some of those fears as well. For any women who might be pregnant at the moment and potentially will be going into labour during the current pandemic and the current climate, um, there's I'm, I'm coming up to that time now and there's a lot of talk about partners not being there at the first stage of labour. And that can be, in particular, if you're a first time mum, but actually every labour is so different. And this is my third, this will be my third labour. And I am, that's something that causes me great anxiety, the thought of having to go through those first initial stages on my own. Um, and all those techniques, I mean, it's going to be difficult when you're having contractions to go through a relaxing body scan. <laughs> but um are those mindfulness techniques and things like that something that might be able to help just keep the anxiety at bay when you're facing something, whether it's labour or whether it's going to your first scan for your first baby on your own? Um, you know, just 
being able to reduce anxiety, maybe if you are in a busy situation and, and you're not able to do a body scan, is mindfulness then something you would recommend? Yeah, so I um, I'm not a hypnobirthing practitioner and I would really recommend people to check that out, whether they work with someone one-on-one or have some recordings to listen to. I mean, listening to hypnotherapy recordings could be one option for when things get intense and you know you just have a bit of distraction or something to focus on something to bring you into your body um you know we could do things like visualization um beforehand so visualizing how you'd like things to go so visualizing yourself um you know breathing deeply being present in your body feeling powerful feeling um safe and by you know using our imagination to create those positive images in our mind we can be kind of creating this blueprint for how things can be because there's really something to be said that when we vividly imagine something you know the same parts of our brain are being uh, used as if it's happening for real so we really can rehearse things in our imagination so i'd definitely encourage people to rehearse things um you know, going as you want them to go. Um, yeah, that'd be my, my, my biggest tip. Um, and I briefly just wanted to touch on children is, I don't know whether you work with children, whether children are allowed to do hypnotherapy, um, but for anyone who might feel like they've got an anxious child or they feel like their anxiety might be impacting their children, I remember a massive catalyst for me to come to see you was, when I was doing all my, I used to step and count over paving stones. And one day Rio turned around to me because I didn't do it. I'd managed to resist not doing it. And I walked past this uh, paving stone without stepping back and forth. And Rio turned to me and said, Mama, Mama, you forgot one. You've got to do this. Look. And then he did it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, OK, I've got to change my actions. But for anyone who feels like they might either have an, uh, an anxious child or are impacting their children negatively with their anxiety, is hypnotherapy something that you can do with children? Yeah, I suppose I would say that, yeah, to people, don't beat yourself up about that because you know, no one is perfect. We're, we're all going to influence our children in ways that we might not like. That's completely normal. So please don't beat yourself up about that. Um, I mean, there are definitely some techniques from hypnotherapy that we can use with children. Again, I, I don't work with children myself, but um, doing things like a guided visualization. So telling them um, almost like a story where they, where you ask them to imagine themselves on a beach, you ask them to imagine themselves putting their worries into a cloud and then the cloud being blown away by the wind or something like that. Um, or imagine them going down some steps into a, a beautiful garden and feeling more relaxed as they go down the steps. So depending on your child and how old they are, you might find that those sorts of things could be helpful just for helping them to relax and um, yeah, helping them to, to, to go to sleep more easily, for example. Yeah, amazing. Um, so just, just before we wrap up, um, one of the recent episodes on your own podcast was all about building resilience. It was called Bend, Don't Break. Um, and you mentioned that you believe most of the world's problems are caused by us not being sensitive enough. What tools can you offer to listeners who may feel they need to build a bit more resilience in pregnancy? And how do you find the balance between feeling confident and empowered whilst also allowing yourself to be vulnerable and open? 
Great question. So yeah, so I suppose what I meant by that when I when I said that I don't think people are sensitive enough is that, you know, we've got so much in the world where people are um, not treating each other with respect or kindness or enough care for each other or for the planet. And I really believe that, you know, sensitive people um, are so important for the world right now. And for people that are sensitive, please don't make yourself wrong for that. Please don't um, tell yourself that you should be strong or that it makes you weak. I actually believe that that being vulnerable and being open is a massive sign of strength. It's not easy to be vulnerable and to be open about how you're feeling and what you're experiencing. So I, I want to get away from this idea that we need to be sort of put on a strong front in order to be resilient. Um, sometimes being open and sharing about things or asking for help um, is what is going to help us to feel more resilient. It's what's going to help us to deal with a challenge or a difficulty and bounce back from things. Um, but I suppose, yeah, the word resilience, I'm not sure that that's the, a word I really love because it can almost suggests that we're weak if we're yeah. if we're not feeling strong and I don't think that's the case um but it's about how can we help ourselves through challenges how can we support ourselves through the ups and downs of life and I believe it has a lot to do with social support being able to ask for help connecting with other people who are experiencing the same things as you whether that's in person whether that's in Facebook groups or in WhatsApp groups or on social media um, taking time for yourself, you know, even if it's just a few minutes, even if it's getting a super early night, if that's possible for you, um, um, making, making, taking care of your own mental well-being a priority. And I would say probably the number one thing when it comes to resilience is being kind to yourself. And, you know, we hear about this all the time. I'm sure the listeners have heard this so many times, but I actually don't think we can hear it enough because it is the number one thing that I see in people that are struggling with anxiety, that they are not kind to themselves. And we, you know, we, we're capable of being kind to strangers on the street and not to ourselves. And um, I think it's about constantly reminding ourselves that we bring out the best in ourselves when we're kind. You know, beating ourselves up doesn't actually help us to get better. It saps our motivation it means that we're less likely to try things if we beat ourselves up. We give up more easily if we're hard on ourselves. And so just treating yourself as you would a friend, um, speaking to yourself kindly. Don't take those negative thoughts about yourself too seriously because your thoughts are not facts. And, and continue to come back to this idea of, of being kind to yourself. I like that. Your thoughts are not facts. Um, I also I really like the fact that you're talking so much about sort of self-love and self-empowerment. I suppose when you're talking about self-love, this is perhaps a journey that begins with you. Of course, having a support network is fantastic, but it's a lot to do with how you respect yourself and treat yourself and are kind to yourself. Yeah, and I think we we often expect so much from our partners. We expect them to take the role of the whole tribe. Um, but actually, you know, we do need a tribe around us. We do need um, other people in our lives to help and support us. And and yes, I would say the most important thing is our relationship with ourselves. But also, we're not supposed to go through this life on our own. And obviously, we've been in isolation for the last couple of months. Um, and I think people are, you know, really realizing how much we need each other more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for your time today. At the end of every episode, 
I'm asking every guest what their strong like mum moment is. So um, it can be anything from yourself to a friend where you feel that they've overcome a personal struggle during pregnancy, parenting, anything like that it can be to do with your parents, you as a parent, your friends, anything where you felt inspired um, in a moment of overcoming something challenging during during pregnancy, parenting, anything in that area. Yeah, so I don't have children myself yet, although I'm sure it's going to happen quite soon. I hope it's going to happen quite soon. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's breaking news. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see. Um, I suppose I, you know, because I, I go through my own fears about uh, becoming a mum and wondering how I can do it, but I get a lot of strength from thinking about all the women in my family going back, you know, back and back and back to the earliest women and all the things that they have overcome and all the challenges that they've dealt with and um and knowing that all of that is in my DNA as well you know we we all have the DNA of our ancestors within us all that strength and it's it'll blow your mind when you start to look into your family tree or when you just imagine the sorts of things that our ancestors have gone through so that we can be here today it's quite amazing and I just get a lot of strength in remembering that there's a lot of strength and resilience in in all of us because of that amazing thank you so much for your time today chloe and for sharing your expertise thank you thank you for having me this podcast was sponsored by pregnacare expert nutritional care for pregnancy with you every step of the way to find out more visit www.pregnacare.com